With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hey everyone, on today's episode of Strictly Hoop Talk, I got my boy Ken Inge of Dead End Hip Hop, Dead End Network, coming back here to talk MJ's Last Dance, episodes 5 and 6, review slash recap. Uh, had a great time recording this. Ken and I got to talk about you know each episode in depth, which, which covered... Uh, the Nike shoe deal, it covered the Dream Team and whether or not Isaiah got kicked off of it because of Michael Jordan or because of some other factors, we debate that. We also talk about um, Jordan's retirement because it leads to Jordan's retirement in the episode and was it gambling, was it, you know, was it mental exhaustion? We kind of dive deep into that, unpack that, as well as some classic series with the Knicks and some classic series with the Suns. So all of that plus more on this episode, plus we do a little bit of talking towards the end about, you know, just our thoughts on the current NBA season and all of that. So quick housekeeping, um, my bracket is up, the 2010s Madness bracket, shout out to John Adams, that's J underscore N Adams, um, that's his at on Twitter and Instagram, give him a follow because he does great design work. You can see the bracket is prime example of that turned out absolutely amazing so i want everybody to fill it out let me know what your albums of the decade are and uh just had a lot of fun making it and i'm going to be recording that podcast at a later date so that will be coming um just stay tuned for that and um as far as other content goes uh spike lou and i are going to talk about coronavirus on the music side of the podcast and i'm also going to do a strictly hoop talk side of the podcast where i talk about you know just how is it influencing uh influencing basketball now that we're hearing all this news about basketball potentially coming back at disneyland and um also also you know nba teams are starting to practice in certain states and certain cities so all of that plus much more coming in the Strictly Hip Hop and Strictly Hoop Talk world. As always, if you do not already, please subscribe to the podcast. Leave it five stars on wherever Apple, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher, wherever you listen to your podcast. Find me there. Follow it. Uh, show it to some friends. Re- leave a review if possible. Reviews go a long way in helping the algorithm, so I greatly appreciate that. And also give me a follow on all of the social medias, Twitter and Instagram, mainly are the two best platforms to reach me and stay up to date with everything that I am posting. Uh, that's at real Chris Platty, C-H-R-I-S-P-L-A-T-T-E, and I know you know how to spell real. So without further ado, everyone, I'm going to toss to the intro music and we're going to get this episode started. All right, hello everyone. Welcome back to Strictly Hoop Talk. Got another review of the MJ Last Dance documentary, and joining me is 
the CEO of Dead End Hip Hop. He's on Dead End Hip Hop. Is the mic still on? Everything Dead End. It's it's the guy Ken. Ken, how are you doing? Uh, I'm doing fine, man. Just you know, I think I'm adjusted to the way things are uh, in the new world, but um, <laughs> staying safe and you know, um, just trying to get by day by day. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of noticing that that shift is happening in me too. The last couple of weeks, it's kind of gotten from uh, from you know understanding that this is the time to just kind of almost seeing it as normal, and I'm not thinking every day about oh when is this over when are we you know what's what's the next steps all of that but uh the different situation between us is you obviously you know have you have a wife and kids so how have you how have you uh kept them entertained what's been some of your one of the go-to activities in the household to keep everybody sane and and entertained during this time well we would take them out we would go for a walk we would Mm -hmm. go across the street to the soccer field and let them run around there. My in-laws have a nice size backyard, so there's plenty of room for them to run back there while allowing us the opportunity to stay uh, social distance. Okay. So, you know, the grandparents get a chance to see them without us being up on each other, they'll just look out the window or stay on the porch and we'll be in the yard. So totally away from each other. And then, you know, occasionally we would take them uh, to ride their bikes and stuff like that. So, and of course they have all the gaming systems and everything in the house too. (laughs) Yeah. There's always that. Yeah. I know. I know. I know your kids are big into games. I see that all the time on your, on your Instagram and your snap stories. (laughs) And they're always they're always playing something. And you got quite the setup in your house, um, but no, that's good. I think I think a lot of it is a lot of the key is really just outside time, and just you know time away from wherever you're wherever you're isolating or quarantining yourself during uh, during this time. Because I found that I found that you know walking I got a track uh, you know down the street from me. And so I get out there and I, and I walk the track or run or whatever, and, you know, just kind of do some, do a little bit of stuff to kind of stay active and stay, uh, and and stay kind of loose, you know, and I'm finding that that's, that that's a big, a big, big key. But I know I asked you this off air and I'm good and I'm glad to hear that everybody is doing well on your side, everybody in Atlanta. So without further ado, man, let's get to this documentary here. We got episodes five and six but before i get to episodes five and six i want a quick breakdown because you and i haven't actually talked about this documentary yet on air or off air so uh where are you at going into these episodes have you been enjoying it so far have you um have you been learning new things like what are your what are your initial takeaways from the first four episodes leading up to now it's definitely a walk down memory lane um i recall a lot of things later. I, it's, it's amazing how much I actually forgot over the <laughs> years. But while watching it, I would say to myself, oh, I remember that game, or I remember that moment. And there are moments where I'm in awe all over again of Michael Jordan. And then there are moments where he reminds me of why I disliked him so much <laughs> as growing up, because he beat all of my favorite players, except for Kim Ajuan, and he beat all of my favorite teams. Uh, eventually, <laughs> he beat the Pistons. Mm-hmm. But those moments where he didn't, 
And when he finally overcame them, that was it. And it was a wrap. So it's been thrilling to watch and to just look at the response from a lot of people that don't know. It's one yeah. thing to somebody. It's another for them to actually watch and hear it from their own mouth, the things that they think and say and do. And it was a realization to me finally to understand that this dude is maniacal in his approach about everything. And it's coming from him, not hearsay. Mm -hmm. It makes me think a lot about the current state of the NBA and the players that are playing in it now and their mindset and mentality and how some just, even the best of the best, just don't have it. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's, you know, just to compare and contrast it to is always just kind of interesting, uh, an interesting exercise for me. Yeah, I mean, even just when you're watching the the, the brief little clips, because they're, they're essentially highlights that you get of MJ on the court, you could just, it, it just reminds you the, uh, of the vast difference in the styles of play and, and where we are now. So that's one of the things that I'm getting from it. Um, I'm also getting, you know, I'm learning things about it. I'm learning about the Dennis Rodman story, which I talked about on the last episode with Manny Brown. That was that, that was really funny, the whole Bender thing that I, I didn't know about the little vacation. <laughs> Excuse me. I didn't know about the vacation he took. Um, so, yeah, so it's been it's been really it's been really interesting to just see this side of Michael Jordan. <clears throat> Excuse me. So now here we are on episodes five and six and episode five. I really love this from just a pure journalistic uh, journalistic perspective, just because I've, I've enjoyed the storytelling so far and how they've been chronological, but not really chronological. You know, everything, everything has an interesting set of timelines, how it's all skate. It's all through the 98 season. But then when something happens in it that's significant, it jumps back to give, like, each episode is jumping back to give context to that moment in 98, which is really cool. But this episode, I thought, did a phenomenal job of tying in the whole shoes with, with MJ being at his last game at the Garden. And um, and so him wearing his first pair of shoes and then going all the way back and, and seeing... I found it interesting to see Nike in that position because me growing up, you know, as a post-Jordan generation I was born in 95 so I'm post-Jordan generation it you you never would have ever thought Nike to not be the total dominant powerhouse that it is so um just the whole shoe part of it what was what was your thoughts on that because I thought that was really well told I did too and you know it's it's um it's kind of amazing to think that it things just line up perfectly perfectly for him and it shows that certain people sometimes are destined mm -hmm. so you know nike was just some upstart that that got this that where this guy fell into his lap mm -hmm. and because they were looking for something they took the chance and because they were so new and so desperate they were willing to basically kind of give him a deal that adidas and Spotnik or whatever other companies that he was looking at were not going to give him Converse. Yeah, was Converse. Another one. So that corny commercial was really funny to watch too. Oh the, the the rap. <laughs> yes, I was, was like, oh, I was cringing. Oh man, I, I was cringing. But um, but the one takeaway 
that I, I got from that came from Michael Jordan. And he said, it didn't matter what deal I had or what they gave me. If I didn't do what I needed to do on the court, it, it, we wouldn't have gotten to where we are today. So I still had to go out and perform. Mm-hmm. So while the shoes are great, but I had to make the shoes themselves. And I was like, wow, so you can get a good deal. But if you don't perform, what good is the deal? Yeah. So that's what I like hearing from him. Yeah, I loved that part of it. That was a really powerful line. Uh, was just, you know, I also found it interesting that he didn't want to take Nike because they were a startup. And his mom was like, listen, you go take that meeting, <laughs> you know, and, mm-hmm. and how it works out. But that particular part and Jordan just being like, you know, my game is going to carry the the success of this shoe. This all rides on me. You know, my game does the talking, I think is his direct quote. And I love I love that because, you know, it, it really does show how Michael Jordan what the difference I think in him and other athletes is is the mentality that you spoke of. And I think this is a good example of it because you know, I often wonder how, you know, Jordan was having these 50, 60 point games in the, in the regular season quite often, you know, and he was scoring at high volumes and he was always known to give it his all. And of course, a lot of that is his competitive nature. But, you know, you find this shoe, I'm, I'm thinking in the back of my mind, oh, wow, the way he looks at this shoe deal, this is like material for him every single game to kind of give it that extra level. You know, and then of course, you know, he has when he's playing the Knicks or, you know, he, he just, he found ways to make every game important to him. And I thought that the shoes did a really good, uh, the shoes were, uh, were a good example of that because, you know, a, a game against Charlotte, you know, that, that wasn't a good team at the time, Jordan would, Jordan would find motivation in himself because, you know, he's like, Hey, I got to perform cause I got this Nike shoe deal. And then when it was a bigger team like a like a Knicks or a Suns or whoever it was, you know he he obviously had the competitive nature. Oh, I got to go at Charles. So it just it, it's awesome to see that he he was able to just constantly fuel that that uh, that that competitive drive, and that it wasn't just it wasn't just as simple as hey this kid just goes out and gives it his all. It it was the the mindset of getting into the mindset of that I thought was really interesting. Yeah, he didn't take it for granted. And a lot of players, uh, or there are players now where they get the deal in the shoe and they think they've made it. And they think the shoes are just going to sell because of their name. No, you got you to gotta earn that. You have to earn our money. Yeah. And it's just that simple. Yeah, yeah, you know, and, and now nowadays some players are like, you know, hey, let me go, let me do well on this national TV game. You know, these local TV games, it is what it is, you know, but... I, I just really loved that about that. So another thing that was interesting about this episode was also it got into the 92 Dream Team. So it got into my boy Isaiah Thomas missing the Dream the Dream Team. And, you know, they they obviously, they obviously Isaiah believes that it's Jordan. He still believes that it's Jordan. But, um, but the documentary said, Hey, you know, look, he had, he had his thing with magic at that point. He had his thing with bird about the, you know, about the, the white basketball player thing. I think he's just a white basketball player. So, um, 
I I want to say when when they framed it the way they did, did that make did that make you think? Because I I think you're under the same assumption as me, right? That you always assume that it was just it was as simple as Jordan not wanting Isaiah on the team because um and, and he maybe he didn't even have to say it. Maybe it was just it was just very well known that those two at that point didn't have uh had strong resentment for each other. So was it was it your belief that Jordan cost Isaiah the 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 spot on the dream team and you know did this the way they framed this documentary make you think about it any different way so i i think you just said it he didn't have to say those words mm-hmm. and people i think it was rothorn could take jordan asking who was going to be on the team as him asking about isaiah without asking mm-hmm. without saying his name Mm-hmm. And Rod Thorne could interpret that one way and go take that and, you know, disseminate that to everybody else. And they also, and knowing what they knew maybe about Magic and Bird, make the decision that he wouldn't, he wouldn't be a good fit because of all of these things that went in, that, that he's involved with that's outside of the game. So, um, so to hear like I'm a person I like to go by what the players say, what's reported, and um I'm really evidence based. Mm-hmm. So my assumptions over time over the years, because it was all hearsay back then, was that Jordan had something to do with it. I think he may have, but he didn't make that decision. I think people made the decision for him based on everything that went down. But he didn't outright say it, and he probably wouldn't have cared one way or the other. And it's unfortunate because they could have repaired their relationship by getting a chance to really spend time with each other. All yeah. of them could yeah. have. And um, to see it go down that way because they wanted to protect Jordan was very, very un- un- unfortunate. But, you know, um, Magic wrote about it in his book, and we have from him and from Rod Thorne and all these other people saying that he had no direct impact on Isaiah being left off that team. I think most of it was was indirect. Yeah. Yeah, and that kind of, that makes a lot of sense to me. You know, um, I don't think, you know, I used to think of it as just as just such a such a black and white situation where Michael Jordan just didn't like Isaiah, therefore Isaiah's not on the team. And you know, I never I never really thought more. I never really thought more of it. Honestly, it was one of those stories that everyone in the NBA community was told, and I just I just kind of went with it. But I also but I also didn't you know, begin to think twice about it because in, in the grand scheme of things, I didn't really, um, I didn't really contextualize just how important it, it was. And then when we're watching this documentary now, um, and I'm seeing them and I'm seeing them frame it as like, Oh, you know, it, it, Isaiah had his problems with magic and bird and, and all of this. And I kind of immediately thought, okay, this is, you know, just because it's a, it's a documentary about MJ like MJ is at the helm of the production of this thing. I'm starting to say, okay, like, is this a narrative spinner? Is this, but then, you know, the more I think about it and the more I sit with it, it's just like, no, when you take in all of the facts, it just, 
it seems like it seems like the very real possibility that it could have been everybody understood the the, the decision makers Rothorn understood the context of the situation and made that decision based on based on that context and it and it wasn't necessarily it wasn't necessarily stated by Jordan or stated by Bird or stated by Magic it wasn't one it wasn't really one particular player that costed that maybe costed Isaiah maybe it was but the decision was ultimately on Rod Thorne instead of instead of as simple as Michael Jordan saying hey if I'm going to be on the dream team Isaiah can't be on it mm-hmm and another thing I found that was really interesting about the dream team part of it was number one, poor poor Tony Kukoc, man. He's like he's like, I don't know what's going on. I know nothing about this whole power struggle between Scotty, MJ, uh, Jerry, and upper management. And he's like, I'm just playing basketball, but MJ and Scotty just beat him and to his credit he came back and he had that good game and I like that he had that, but Poor Tony Kukoc that it took him, you know, that he went through that just to, just because of uh, something that wasn't even his fault, really. But I, I loved the story of the practice in particular. That was a really cool story where they were doing their five-on-five scrimmage and Magic and Charles were talking a lot of shit to MJ and particularly Magic. And Jordan just said, you know what? Screw it. And he just he just took over and won them the game. But the part I loved most about that story was was when Magic was telling him, so we got on the bus, we all sat down, and it's quiet for about two minutes. And then and then Magic goes, Damn, I guess I shouldn't have said what I said or something like that, and the whole bus just starts laughing. And I thought I thought that was a really cool, amazing basketball moment be you know, to to get all these great players to come together to have that intense matchup, and then to not only after after be able to laugh about it and it and it becomes a, a point of camaraderie, but also it establishes MJ as the legend that we know him today. So I thought that was a really awesome story. Yeah, it was, and you know, it he he said it. You know, he said, this, this is the 90s now. It's not the 80s or something along those lines. Yeah. Letting them know that, you know, it's, it's a new era. You guys have had your moment. You guys have dominated a whole decade. It was, it was you know, Boston and L.A. and the and the Pistons. Yeah. That championships. Were, and once the 90s flipped, it became Jordan's era. And the best part for me that I loved was what um was just hearing the shit talking because yeah. oh my god <laughs> we of it but we is is we don't hear them actually in the moment yeah. and it was so good to hear Magic just talk all that crap and to kind of see cameras away we're just in our world we're just doing what we love playing this game and we're gonna give it to each other. And it was it was it was great, man, because it's one thing to hear the stories of what people are saying, it's another to hear it again from the horse's mouth. Yeah. And that I love just to hear everything that magic was saying. Oh, and how- man. Yeah. yeah, that was incredible. That was incredible. I loved that. That that was that was beautifully said because that's exactly how I felt, man. Like 
you hear all these all these legendary moments of you know KG talking trash or you know obviously obviously MJ's time as well and Magic's time, but you know you always hear all these great trash talking stories, but you never really get to. It, it's totally different when you see them happen and see them unfold. You know, like like again, I the only part I have of KG, which I hope there's some sort of documentary or something along the lines one of these days where you get to see KG's trash talk, which we know is legendary. As of right now, the only example we have is that trending clip. Um, it's like viral on Twitter and Instagram. I don't know if you've seen it before, but he's like, but he's at the end of the bench and they're playing the Pelicans and he's like, and he calls Eric Gordon after he shoots. He says, hell no, trash ass. Like he just shouts oh, yeah. <laughs> off the bench and i love that about kg so you know again it's 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 being able to see those moments are are really really cool um but now we go we get to episode six and episode six is a leading up to 93 and the and the three pete and so it dives into a little bit of the gambling um the and his reasons for leaving like media scrutiny uh smith's book so I never asked you. I never asked you this. Uh, what What do you believe about Jordan's first retirement, as far as the reason, and did this documentary change it in any way, or do you think it was it was framed in any particular way that uh, that that made you rethink it? Um, it didn't. It didn't really change much because. I don't think they really kind of went into what we all were hearing at the time, which was that, uh, which was about the the darker sides of what gambling may have done to Jordan when it came to the rumors of his father being killed by a mob because he owed them money. Right. And they um, obviously with, with good reason didn't mention that at all because it's a lot of hearsay and rumors outside of this one mob boss that seemed to allude to it being true. And um, so it didn't really, I was wondering if they were going to go there, but Mm -hmm. they kind of skated over it and I I get the editorial decision, but, um, but it didn't really change anything or provide any new insight into him leaving. The way they set it up was they basically made it seem like he was just exhausted and tired from everything. But on the streets back then, we were hearing something completely different because it didn't make any sense for him to leave to go play baseball. Yeah. So. Yeah. And so that that's kind of where I was going into this, too. I was very much looking forward to seeing just what kind of lens we were we were going to get on this topic. So it, it when it dove into the gambling part. It mentioned the it kind of it, it kind of touched the surface and you know it mentioned the the big check that was found in that in that court case where MJ ended up testifying but that was briefly went over it didn't even get into MJ's actual test uh, testimony or anything like that just a quick just a quick quote of it and you know and then it, it really kept hitting home the media scrutiny um, the the book written about him and how public perception was starting to to change about him and you know i'm i'm personally okay with the way they did it just because like you said it's a lot of it's a lot of hearsay on that gambling side on the on the darker on the darker side of it 
and you know I'm of the I'm of the belief that let's not let's not blow anything up if there's not if there's not overwhelming evidence because uh, especially when you you are implicating the the death of somebody you know you don't want to you don't want to just open it up to um to a, a massive conspiracy and just put a bunch of a bunch of hearsay out there just because you know that's that's damaging to reputations and it's not fair to um these players who are already in the court of public opinion it's not fair to put anything out unless there's real definitive proof and so i was okay with them not going full in now would i've loved to you know would i love to get to the total bottom of this one day and know for certain yes i would i would love to i would love to you know really figure out you know was the reasons mental exhaustion was it the gambling what was it that that drove him to to retire in the first place but as far as as far as his documentary goes i was i was pretty i was pretty satisfied i was pretty satisfied with it and um just because i i don't i i think that there's a there's a huge responsibility that comes with this part of his legacy mm-hmm. yeah um one of the parts that i i also found interesting was jordan and 93 and in, in, against the knicks and so you were alive for this series. I was not. This was always told to me in history, just from the the people that the people that have come before me in basketball media. I've always heard the stories. You know that there was that this was one of the moments, one of the few moments where it felt like MJ, where it felt like MJ could have been beaten, or when it was when it was at its at its darkest from a basketball perspective. So. Did you think that Jordan was losing to the Knicks in '93? Because I've I've saw people that have said, "Hey, look, I know they're down 2-0, and I know there's all this gambling stuff and all this scrutiny going on about Michael Jordan right now, but there's no way Michael Jordan's losing." And I just at that at that point in time in life, you just didn't believe that Michael Jordan was capable of losing. So where were you at at in that series of '93? Well, I didn't. I wasn't that much of a fan of the Knicks either. So, but I, I hoped that they would beat Michael Jordan, especially when they were down two zero. And you know, I remember that them, and I was like, you know what? If if they just get one, like, don't give them any any glimmer of hope. Yeah, and then the gambling thing happened, and of course he got motivated by that. And then, of course, we know they won four straight. But just watching that in in real time, it was very frustrating, especially when when uh, game five, when Charles Smith could not get that oh, ball man. in the basket. <laughs> oh, um, he tried his ass off too. <laughs> and, and I remember yelling at the TV for a foul. And I was so heated, and I could not believe. And I, I remember I was like, this guy is the luckiest guy in the world. I said, I don't get it. I just don't understand how he keeps getting all of these breaks. But either way, but I, I thought that it, it could have been it, but they needed to get them down 3-0, and even then, that would have been tough to beat them. And I think the most interesting thing about what the Knicks were doing and what eventually the Heat were doing was that what what people haven't really connected is that the Knicks went back to the bad boys. Yeah. They became really, really physical and tough 
and grind it out, and they made him earn a lot of it. And they played like they they adopted the the mentality of the Pistons, and it all and it, you know it almost worked. But they never get really um, vilified for that. You know they're a tough grinded out team, but they were doing a lot of dirty stuff oh, back yeah. in the day. Oh yeah, and matter yeah, of that fact, was they were part of the reasons why the game why they started to change the rules. It was the it was the Knicks and and the uh, and the Heat. Yeah, yeah that 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 was the part that I found interesting was the fact that you know I'm like huh so you're telling me in this documentary even you're pointing out that they are making the exact parallels of the Knicks to the Pistons and the Knicks just didn't get vilified like that for it and I think I think that there there there's a few reasons behind it again New York was kind of one of those markets that was the apple of the NBA's eye um both publicly and just as a and just as uh, as a brand so there was that to it there was also I think that was the point where because of all the stuff going on, there there started to be a turn in, in in the public perception of Michael Jordan, and so people were like, "I I'm okay if he loses." Whereas when he's going up against the Pistons, you know, he's still he's still he yeah he's got the criticism that he hasn't won yet, but for the most part, he's the guy that everybody wants to win. You mm-hmm. know, so i think it was just so i think that there were there were multiple roles that played into it but again if we want to talk about all fairness it's you know the pistons are casted out as the the bad boys as you know as as this being quoted from michael and and phil as uh, two icons of the game talking about you know these guys ruined basketball they didn't play it the right way blah blah and it was never it was never really put that way for for New York. It was oh they they were doing what they had to do. They made it ugly. They played tough. But it's mm-hmm. like but it's like the Pistons did the exact same thing, man. Only difference is we did it better. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but but I found that a little a little frustrating as a as a Piston fan. But uh, okay, so then after they beat the Knicks, the episode ends with them getting to. Uh, to the Suns in the finals, and they they seem to paint the Suns as Jordan's toughest finals so far. And that line that I loved so much might be one of my favorite lines in the whole documentary so far is about Jordan packing one suit. That was just killer. When when they when the when the Suns win and they have to go back to Phoenix for Game Six and Seven, Michael gets on the plane and says, "Look." I'm only packing one suit. You guys can do what you want, but I'm only packing one suit. We're only playing one game. We're not going to game seven. And I just absolutely loved that. And I'm and when I when I heard it, I was like, it, I, I was like, man, did I hear that story before? And I think I did. Mm-hmm. I, and I thought I was so disappointed in Phoenix because I liked Barkley. I thought. Phoenix had a legit shot. Again, I was anti-Jordan, so I was obviously rooting for them. And then when they lost 2-0 in Phoenix, I'm like, okay, well, that. (laughs) It all the way to game six, and they're up four, and a chance to go to a game seven. And watching that highlight of Jordan just walking to the basket with that layup, it just... All of those those harsh memories because I was hurt by that by that game 
and then, then of course the passing three, because they had that game won, and just one mental lapse changed everything, because it set it up for the three to happen, and I would have been fine with anything except the three pointer, and of course, he hit it, and <laughs> yep. could not stop thinking about that um, that layup. And it just kept playing over and over in my mind. And, you know, the the rest is history. But, uh, yeah, man, that hearing him say, I don't know about you guys, I'm packing one suit, you have to have that level of confidence. And I know Phoenix were, were gaining momentum. And if they win that game, who knows what could happen. But I just – it was a great line. And people yeah. – I think we hear players say it, say it today, and sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. But for some have, you know, that mindset, it, it, it does. But yeah, that was that was that was a, a harsh reminder. <laughs> tough time for a tough time for you. <laughs> well, you know, I thought I, I thought again, I thought I thought it was really good and I loved I loved seeing Charles the way handle it the way he did. You know, he really seemed like in this in the interview when he talked about it, he said I have no shame losing to Michael Jordan you know that's the greatest player in the world and when you know to see such a competitor like him finally you know have it processed in him that you know what I'm totally at peace with not getting a ring I know everybody's gonna make a joke because Charles Reggie you know those are the guys that really get the brunt of the of the stick when it comes to legends without a ring and you know, Barkley, I thought to see Barkley handle it the way he handled it too was also, was also really, was also really cool. Cause you know, it, it's good to see, it's good to see somebody at peace with their, with their own legacy, you know? Yeah. And, and a lot of people don't know Barkley was, uh, I tell everybody, I'm gonna tell your listeners as well, go check basketball reference and then go to YouTube and type in Charles Barkley and watch this man play. He oh, man. was great. Unbelievable. He was he was truly, truly unbelievable to watch. I mean, I remember I remember it was uh it was actually the I think it was the bad boys doc. It was one of the thirty for thirties that, that Charles was in and he was in briefly for, for a time and when he was in it, it might have been it might have been a thirty for thirty on the dream team. I can't I can't remember what the thirty for thirty was now. But they were focusing on Char- uh, on Charles Barkley in Philly, and I just remember being blown away by it. And then as soon as that documentary was over, I went and I watched you know just hours of Charles Barkley, just any grainy clip I could find of watching this man play because he was he was a whole another animal. You know, he was just he he was so deceptively athletic; it was unbelievable. He just, he didn't look like he would, he looked like, you know, he had the old man game at, at the Y where, you know, you just, you just back down your guy and get a bucket, but no, he was ripping a rebound and going down the court. It was unbelievable to see. Yeah. He was ahead of his time and, you know, uh, he really was. Yeah. He would have been, you know, so dominant in this era. He would have absolutely been so dominant in the, in this era today, but um, okay. So this is where the series ends so far. Um, episode seven, I believe, and eight. Uh, I'm sure we'll get into Jordan and the baseball a little bit. It'll probably it'll, it, these two episodes, or maybe even just one of these episodes, 
will probably focus on, you know, that gap between between uh, retirements and and you know just kind of leading back up to ninety six, and so I'm looking forward to it. Ken, I want to thank you for coming on, man. It was great to talk hoops with you. Uh, something we don't get to do much nowadays, mm-hmm. just because of the times we're in. But uh, I want to get your thoughts on that, actually. So, do you think that we're going to get an NBA season this year? Some, and if so, in what capacity? Yes, I think they will shorten it a little bit, but we will have basketball again. They've been talking about it for way, way, way too much. Yeah, and um, so they, they're going to figure it out. The world is. Uh, basically open again and once um, like everybody else once they adjust to figuring out how to make things safe then they're going to play and we may the playoffs may be shorter the regular season they may just take a loss on that revenue Mm -hmm. but they're going to finish the season I think they really want to finish the season and as a fan I want them to finish the season but more importantly I think if I'm Adam Silver I'm looking ahead and I get a chance to experiment with some of the ideas that I've had. I get a chance to experiment with starting the season, you know, around Christmas and having a shortened NBA season, which they very well could do and more than likely have to do. So now instead of playing 82 games, you'll play 60 games or whatever that number could be. And now you get a chance to see what impact that would have on revenue and on the players. And you can take that data and use that for future decisions when it comes to all of the talk about shortening the season. Yeah, I said that in March on my podcast when I talked to him immediately. It was, you know, within days of the NBA season canceling. And I talked about, you know, the the silver lining in this is that the NBA, if they're open to it, obviously right now we're being in a global pandemic, you know, your 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 priorities are often elsewhere. But this does, in some way, give the NBA, if they're open to it, a a chance to really experiment and tinker with things, maybe even introduce the midseason tournament. They can do all sorts of wacky things. Nothing's really off the table because, because this pandemic has essentially forced them into a situation where things are going to change in some way. And... You know the NBA has always been great about embracing change and about um, and about trying to think ahead. So I definitely think that Adam Silver is thinking ahead and is open to um, experimenting with starting the season in December. Maybe shortening. I don't know about shortening the games just because I know the owners are gonna. You know they're all gonna cry. You know they're all gonna cry bankruptcy when you know the fact that they if there's any regular season games canceled. Which is another thing too, because Ken, I believe me and you were destined for the finals in our fantasy <laughs> oh, yeah. league, and I am going to be really hurt if uh, if if we don't get to if we don't get to finish out that fantasy basketball season because me and you were right there neck and neck all season. Yeah, you know the craziest part about that is that um, I I I had a lot of injuries late. And mm-hmm. I was actually playing for the final playoff spot. But like you said, I, I was fully confident that with the way that week was going that I was going to get in. And the way I was, the way my, my guys were on their way that I needed. And we were going to be fully healthy to make that run. Because I felt 
Like my team was very well rounded, and I had Steph Curry, and yeah. I was like, "Oh, we 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 good now." And then this happened, and I was like, "All right, but but yeah, <laughs> but I don't know what they're gonna do with that when it when it comes back and baseball has returned. So that's gonna be even even weird. What will fantasy sports look like? What will they do? How do they pick up from where yeah. they left off, especially if they reduce the games? So yeah. so many things that that you have to think about. Yeah, so many things are 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 there to talk about, but that's a whole nother podcast, Ken. I want to thank you for coming on, man. I'm glad to hear that you you are doing safe. Stay safe during these times and um we'll be we'll be talking soon. You too, man. Thanks for having me. All right, man. Take it easy. All right, you too.